Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Thrive in EDU podcast. I am Rochelle Danae Post, super excited today because I have a guest that I'm looking forward to talking to and learning more about the work that he has done. And just because it's always nice to have somebody to talk to. So if you are joining in for the first time, thank you. If you've been listening for this is the fifth season, then thanks for sticking around. And I know that you will enjoy this episode. Uh, Please recommend it to your friends. Make sure that you subscribe. And without any further delay, we're going to dive right in because, like I said, I do have a guest today. And my guest is Dr. Pedro Overa who is uh, on the advisory team, the clinical advisory team for Blazer Works for Special Education. And so I'm looking forward to talking to him, but first I wanna say welcome to the Thrive in EDU podcast. Thank you so much, I appreciate being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Of course, yeah, it's, it's I, I've been learning so much uh, just over, you know, as educators and working in education, like we're never done. There's always something to learn. There's always things that are changing. Uh, I, I've often said like, it doesn't get easier the longer that you're in education, contrary to what people think. And I think the biggest thing that's so powerful for educators is like that that need to connect and to keep learning and growing together, but also the power of the story, like how people have gotten to where they are today. And so my first question to you before we really dive into conversation is, can you tell me and our listeners a little bit about uh, what got you to where you are today, the work that you've done, your experience, your background, anything that you would like to share? Yeah, well, it's been quite a journey. I would say at least 30 years in the making. Um, I started, I was in college, I was lost, didn't know what I wanted to do at that time. Uh, we're talking about the 90s. And um, I got a job at the local school district, actually the, the school where I went to, I became a paraprofessional, uh, working as a teacher's assistant in a special education classroom. So I, I, I was hired on, I started working with students. What I didn't know then was that it was a student, a class with uh, children with special needs. Uh, you know, back then we didn't hear a lot about autism or a lot of, you know, uh, as we hear about it now. And I was paired up with a student who had autism. And it was just, a, it was for me, it was just a, a learning experience. Uh, you know, my, my, my job was to, um, to mainstream him into a regular classroom. So I would uh, mainstream him. I would, uh, he would go during the reading period and I would, uh, you know, just support him, uh, you, know, uh, you know, provide tutoring for him within the classroom setting. And, you know, I really loved that job. I mean, I learned so much through that experience that, they asked me if I wanted to come back the following year. I said yes. Uh, however, this time they placed me in a class for uh, at, um, in a general education classroom, so supporting students within the gen ed. Uh, fourth graders loved it. Uh, it was just something that I really found that I really really connected with. Uh, then I, I became a, a substitute teacher, so I was uh, substituting in different classrooms. I loved that as well. Uh, they they paired me. Uh, I had uh, opportunities to substitute in a uh, class uh, class room for children with emotional uh, difficulties. So um, it was, you know, it was a learning experience as well. It was another learning experience. I loved it as well. Um, and then there was a big change. Uh, I decided to go in a different direction. I heard a school psychologist speak and I said, wow. I said, you know, she spoke about her, her work with children with emotional difficulties, behavioral issues, the assessment piece of it, the mental health, the counseling. And as I heard her speak, I just was reflecting on my experience, like, wow, this is something I could really do. I really think I could do this more on an individual basis. Um, and so I enrolled in college at uh, Azusa Pacific out in the Los Angeles area. Um, through that process, uh, I did work as a, you know, while I was going to school at night, I did social work. 
uh, and uh, I did a so I was a social worker for about two about two years, also working in group homes, uh, supporting kids in those environments. Again, that common theme was just that mental health piece, which I really really enjoyed. Uh, and I became a school psychologist in 2002, um, and went back and got my doctorate degree, and then eventually uh, entered higher higher education. So teaching students to uh, graduate level students to enter the profession of school psychology. I've done private practice along the way, and uh, and then eventually just uh, led around to here uh, to be a part of the uh, the the, the 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 blazer work uh, special education clinical advisory team. So it's been kind of a long way around, but uh, definitely uh, it's been a very rewarding journey. Yeah, and uh, if anybody could actually see the, the looks, the expressions on my face, at varying times as you were speaking, I'm just thinking how much of what you've said resonates with me because of my own similar experiences, like going through college and not necessarily knowing, you know like what you want to do. I remember my junior year, the advisor said, you know, you kind of have to decide on a major. And I'm like, oh, it's that time, huh? Uh, mm -hmm. But I love how you've like, you've just said, like you've come full circle and all the different experiences along the way that kind of led you into the direction of what you're doing today. Um, mm -hmm. Just another thing that I, I love too, I also love, love substitute teaching. I did it for mm -hmm. three years. I started my own high school, which was a little bit, it was, it was interesting at first because you don't know what to call your teachers and just being on that other side of it. But I loved everything about it. Uh, and I, I got a chance to be involved in a lot of different, you know, scenarios and not just teaching languages and, and so forth. But yeah, I've been in education for a long time as well. I jokingly say like, yeah, I know the last century. So, <laughs> but like you, I've, taken a lot of different paths and just keep mm -hmm. finding opportunities to learn. And so mm -hmm. it's awesome to hear your background and your story. And yeah, so for anybody that thinks you go into education and you just you stop learning, you never stop learning. So I can see how your experiences have led you into the work that you're doing. Uh, can you speak a little bit more about the, the work that you do at LaserWorks? Yeah, so I'm part of the, again, you know, the clinical advisory team. And what we do, we're a group of hope, folks uh, that uh, all come together. We have about 25 folks on our team. Uh, the cool thing is that every, you know, we have different disciplines represented on the team. We have, you know, speaking for my discipline, school psychology, we have, um, we have uh, gen ed teachers, we have special ed teachers, we have occupational therapists uh physical therapist so we have pretty much the the gamut of services uh within our team and what we do is we partner with school districts and um i like to say we're like problem solvers a lot of times you have uh you may have a school district that may have maybe dealing with a certain challenge uh you know um you know whether it's a behavioral thing going on uh, maybe they need their teachers need some pd uh you know recently i think about a school district that i worked with that are it's in the midwest area and uh, one of their challenges is uh, assessing um, English language learners. Sometimes when you, when you work with ELs or English learners, uh, you know, we don't know if they're not learning because maybe there's a learning disability or maybe it's just part of their learning acquisition. Maybe their their proficiency in English is not uh, at the level, for example, of a native speaker where, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, a lot of information may not stick or maybe they may have difficulties learning that material. So, you know, teachers, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, get concerned, maybe they have learning problems. So, uh, however, uh, <clears throat> a lot of times it may be a second language acquisition issue. Uh, that's kind of been my area of specialty, but all that to say that I partnered with the school district and they wanted PD on, okay, how do we distinguish between a, a kid who's having difficulties due to a disability uh, versus a kid who's having a, a difficulties due to a to a uh, learning acquisition issue. So we talked about the, the, the some of the manifestations in the classroom setting. Uh, we talked about some of the data they could look at within their classroom. Uh, we, we looked at 
that, uh, you know, if there is a, a need for an assessment, uh, what kind of assessment tools should we use, right? You know, we have to have very specific tools. We have to assess their language proficiency. Uh, and then not only that, but how do you interpret the data, right? You know, is this a disability or not? You know, and uh, through this process in partnering with that school district, we were able to, you know, kind of develop a process, you know, a streamlined process, uh, a pre-referral process, a uh, an assessment process, and not only that, but not only do the work, the, the PDs, the, the the you know the you, you know a lot of times my experience has been we we do the PD and then we leave and then we're gone, but have an ongoing relationship along the way, you know, uh, to help them, you know, once they start looking at cases, you know, kind of provide that support along the way. So we're of a we're we're support team, you know, we wanna we wanna partner with school districts, uh, and that's just my story. I mean, we have other stories. We have folks that have behavior specialty have partnered with school districts and help them with their behavioral systems and maybe uh, provide consultation to their paraprofessionals as well. Uh, so we're, we're just that team that, that come along and we want to partner and we want to problem solve with you. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want to, you know, it's all about the students, right? We want students to have a, a positive outcomes, not only with students, but also with teachers and families, et cetera. So we're, we're that team that, that comes, that comes along. Yeah. And the, the thing too, that, that catches with me is like, you know, it does involve a whole team and something that, and this is not years ago. I wish I, I all the things that I say, I wish I knew this years ago, right? But we're constantly evolving uh, in anything that we do, not just in education, but I think I used to think of, you know, just the students in my class, right? But we can't just think about the students just in our classroom. It's like all of the students in our school, you know, connecting with them and supporting all of them, even if they're not in our class. Or in my case, I mean, I'm the only Spanish teacher, so I can have students, whether or not they like it, for four years of language and maybe in eighth grade as well. And I think it's awesome that I get to see their growth year after year and be there to support them throughout that. Absolutely. But not all educators have that opportunity. You know, they might just have them for one year and then and see them again at graduation or, or not really depending on the size of the school see them at all but it really is important that the students know that they have that support even if they're not still students in your classroom okay. and that schools have the support in the classroom in their school district but also outside of the schools because in many cases there, there's never enough people right That's there's right. never enough resources um, but, or you don't necessarily know about them and so the work that comes from Blazer Works, you know, with the special education clinical advisory team of which you, um, I know are a huge part of, like, what does it look like when you work with school districts? I mean, how does it, it get started? You know, what is the involvement with the school or, you know, if somebody yeah. said, yeah, could you tell me like, how might that look if we, exactly. if we had this? Yeah. It all looks very different. I mean, a lot of it is we do also provide uh, staffing. So, you know, we know there's a great shortage of, uh, educators out there. I mean, I think we read about it right all the time. We know that a lot of folks have either left the pandemic, did something right major that either a lot of folks left the education, a lot of folks, uh, you know, so uh, there's a shortage out there of providers, right? So uh, we do provide, uh, we are a national uh, company where we do partner with school districts and pair them up with, uh, with school psychologists, teachers, whatever the need is. And through that process, uh, they, 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 we provide that support as well. So they're made aware of the support we offer them. So how does it look? I mean, uh, for example, a lot of times we may have a director of special ed, a principal, uh, reach out and say, hey, you know what, we, our district, we may be in a small area, we need support, as I said earlier, like a PD, and we have a lot of behavior issues, and we want to really train our paraprofessionals, right, on how to deal with behavior. Uh, so they reach out to us. And what we do is on the back end, we have our team of specialists in uh, behavior specialists that are available. So we say, okay, we pair them up with uh, with uh, with a particular school district. They reach out. 
uh, they talk, have a little conversation about what the needs are. And it could look like anything from a, a PD thing to a uh, perhaps a one-on-one -on -one consultation with one of their paraprofessionals. Uh, it could be a team meeting, right? It just depends on the need because every need is so unique, right? Is it a, a, a more of a systemic behavior thing that's going on? Or is it a couple of students in a particular class, you know, that where we need to really work with the class? So it just looks very differently on, on how they come to us and the type of supports we, we provide. You know, the good thing is that all the folks that we that are on our team are, are experts. I mean, they've all done this many years, they're highly qualified. So they've seen pretty much every scenario. The cool thing also, some of our folks are double or triple credentialed. You know, you may have someone that uh, is a, say, a school psychologist, but also a behavior specialist, a BCBA, or a school psychologist, but also a mental health therapist. You know, so we have folks that have different disciplines. So when they look at that 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 uh, situation, they're going to look at it through multiple lens. You know, uh, you know, not just their own discipline, but are able to look at it from different points of view. So it's almost like I know that your, I believe your your group is an educator. So it's kind of look at it as a IEP team, kind of you know, kind of from you know an outside folks, different disciplines coming together uh, and problem solving uh, for whatever challenge that may be going on in your school district. And that is so important. I know that a couple of years ago, you know, like we, when I went to, when I got my undergraduate degree, we didn't have all of the same resources available, whether organizations, technology, of course, we know that has definitely changed where now you have access to all of this. You can have people brought in virtually, you can have Zoom meetings and all of these different things. But I really, when I went back and got my master's degree, uh, I had to take five courses in special education. And I just, I, I never fully understood how much work goes into special education, the work that the educators do, and even just in writing an IEP. Uh, so understanding all of that, but also for those educators, just being aware of all of the different potential issues and challenges that are being faced by the students in our schools. I mean, anybody in the mm -hmm. last couple of years, right? It's not specific to any one group, but looking at, you know, students in our schools, I know that one issue and, and there was an article and I wish I could remember where I read it, but it was talking about, you know, the mental health and wellness of students and how much that changed over the period of school closures. And there were all of these different variables and things that were discussed in it, a lot of percentages, of course, and statistics, which I was very much into just learning and understanding. But, you know, mental health is an area that I think for a long time, people didn't necessarily feel really comfortable talking about. And whether that's just because of the topic of it, or not necessarily knowing about the resources that are out there available for schools. And so if I think about you know, any student in any school, not just mine, but all around the world, and we talk about students' mental health, uh, like for families, what are, in your experience, you know, it's not like you necessarily automatically know that there's these resources that are out there. There's oh. always some type of a barrier that exists or potential barrier. And so from what you've seen and experienced, what are some of those barriers that are kind of out there that may, you know, limit or prevent families from accessing the, the health services that they need for their children? No, I think great point. Um, as you're talking, you know, I'm reflecting on my years. So I'm listening to, you know, how you're saying when you went into, you know, when you started your education, you know, and you went into the profession, it's changed a lot, right? I mean, you think about it, you know, uh, you know, um, I remember coming in uh, the early days or just before No Child Left Behind, you know, all the conversation was reading academics, right? You really didn't hear a lot about, about social, emotional, uh, you know, that piece of it. Uh, from that time to now, I definitely, I do, uh, I am grateful that the, the conversation has now shifted in saying, you know, education is just as, I mean, uh, 
mental health is just as important as academics, right? I mean, I'm kind of seeing them almost on par, you know, based on, on, on the changes. And I think that a big piece of it is I think there's a few things that may uh, um, uh, interfere with the parents' uh, comfort level, maybe accessing mental health services. Number one is that comfort level, being able to talk about it, right? I mean, uh, being able to because once you get into mental health, you start talking about personal things now, right? There's maybe personal reasons for that mental health. Uh, maybe your child's depressed, right? Just because perhaps there's some issues going on in your family that you're just now you have to let the professionals know about it. I think a lot uh, another piece of it, at least in my experience, is fear. You know, parents. I remember uh, uh, when I was a school psych, I, I would uh, partner with a couple of community-based agencies. You know, uh, that would provide family counseling resources, and I had several parents say, you know, are they going to take my kids away? You know, and I'm, of course, I wouldn't do that. I said, you know, I mean, you know, this is about supporting the family, you know, and they were worried that they were going to get their kids taken away. Another is, are they going to medicate my kids? You know, so I think a lot of parents are afraid uh, because, you know, in the cultural issues as well, I think it's just the unknown of mental health, right? Having that that connotation, perhaps that it's a bad thing, that uh, there's going to be some life-changing consequences there, right? That misunderstanding of it. Um, I think we're farther along now, uh, especially within my community. I've worked a lot with the uh, Latino community, and I feel like there's a growing acceptance there of, of uh, mental health. In fact, uh, about an hour ago before our, our conversation, I had a parent reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I do have a, my child, my son, you know, he's struggling with mental health, anxiety. Uh, we need help. And to me, that's that's a big, long, it's come a long way, you know, where there, that growing acceptance there of of uh, of how uh, mental health is is uh, being more accepted. So I think those are the big issues. The other one is resources. Where do I go? I like to say that schools are becoming in many ways that uh, ground zero for mental health. You're seeing schools are doing some great creative things with with mental health. They're doing. Uh, a lot of schools have mental well uh, mental health wellness centers. You have your school psychologists. You have your social workers there. Uh, you have your support team. So schools are now increasingly becoming these places where uh, where mental health, you know, is uh, uh, can be treated. Uh, as a school psych, I always say, you know, many times the only person they're going to run into, and a lot of kids will be us. We're going to be that face of mental health. Uh, your school counselors. So, um, so I think that's another piece as well that parents should understand as well that they're, they're, these resources are available within the school districts, and a lot of times also we partner with community-based agencies. So there may be things that are way too much for the school district to handle. Maybe a lot, of, a lot of trauma, very complex issues. It's okay, you know, we have connections to school to, to agencies that can help you. So there's a lot of resources out there, but I think those are the major issues, you know, that I talked about earlier, those cultural issues, that the, being able to comfortable share personal information and, uh, you know, again, worried about some of the things that may have come about as a result of all that. Yeah, and you, as you were talking about those, I was thinking just, you know, pre-school closures, I mean, well, years ago, right? You know, mm -hmm. like long time ago, when first started teaching, um, it, and it's not that these challenges and these issues that you know students face, that adults face, didn't exist. It's just I I think people just didn't talk about them. There weren't as many resources available, and there's that kind of hesitancy because it makes you vulnerable because you're admitting to something that you are experiencing or you don't know. It's that lack of awareness of where to reach out to, and thankfully schools. And I think you know as as, as tough as all of the closures and pandemic and all that experience yeah. was, it really did give people a push and bring things to light. One of which was the importance of the wellness and the mental health and all these issues. Uh, because I know a lot of schools have really been focusing on even at conferences I go to, you know, blogs you read, podcasts, it's been a, a 
big topic of conversation more so I think even in the last year and I think and that's so important it's just you you think like I wish it would have happened sooner right it's another one of those like if only okay now we know we have this available but I think in addition to and, and you mentioned this earlier too when we first started talking there's like all of these people who are potentially qualified but then in for whatever reason, there are still staffing shortages being faced by school districts and whether it's for school psychologists. And sometimes, you know, in like Pittsburgh area, there are some school psychologists that kind of they're responsible for multiple different schools. And sometimes they're actually physically in the school. Sometimes they're just checking in via, you know, conferencing. But is there, you know, in your experience, what have you seen when it comes to like these staffing shortages yeah. you know, for not just psychologists, but other people who are, are key and fundamental in helping when it comes to mental health? Yeah, I think that the, uh, the shortage is everywhere. I'm in Southern California. Uh, we're seeing the very same thing out here, the shortage. We've been talking about the shortage for many years already. Uh, the National Association of School Psychologists, which is our professional organization, has been saying, you know, this shortage is, is huge. You know, really, we want about one school psychologist to about a thousand uh, students, right? That's that's kind of the ratio is really, you know, what we really want is one to 500. But uh, right now we're talking one to 1,000. But we're seeing well over that. We're seeing one to you know three thousand, one to four thousand. So, uh, you know, the shortage has been there. Um, I, what I am seeing, at least in my state, is that uh, the, the the California Department of Ed and our teacher licensing agency they partnered, and they're they're trying to hire ten thousand mental health slash teachers. Well, primarily mental health pro professional folks, uh, ten thousand in the next uh, for the next couple of years. So they're offering great incentives. They're they're offering to pay twenty thousand dollars towards your graduate studies if you um, pursue one of the careers. You know, either a school counselor, social work, school psychologist, and I think even special ed teachers, depending in the area that that they're looking at. But they're trying to get folks on through these 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 incentives, and. Uh, also, uh, I've seen uh, that they're hiring more. Uh, again, I've seen the ratios going down a little bit, but again, the, the need is great. But yeah, but I think the shortage is it's a, it's a it's a reality. It's a real thing, right? I think uh, you know we've seen uh, you know a lot of teachers leaving the profession. It's, it's it's tough out there right now, not only because of what the students are going through, but also personally. You know, we know that a lot of uh, you know administrators, teachers have also reported feeling uh, the mental health uh, symptoms as well during the pandemic. So I think it's been a global thing that, that we're looking at, you know. Yeah, and that those numbers are startling because the I mean, the one to 1000, but if it's even higher than that, mm -hmm. and ideally, of course, I mean, you want it lower because yeah. the number of students and the the range of issues and challenges like it's it's tough growing i mean just just tough in general growing up no matter if you're in elementary school middle school mm -hmm. high school or as an adult and the skills that we need to develop to work through challenges uh, or even just to be the person that's there to support somebody also like understanding that uh, being able to you know under know that it's like it's okay to say hey you know what I'm struggling with this but also to have a direction to go in and so fortunately I know a lot of my friends that work in schools have been talking about their school has a system set up where you know students can fill out an anonymous report about something or they they know a point of contact to go to and they feel comfortable doing that but I think also and it, again not something that was always easy or came naturally is when we're real with our students and if we are having experiences too and saying you know what like 
And I've told my, my students, uh, I'm taking this class, I'm struggling with it, or, you know, just things that happen in life that they know that, okay, not everything is always going to be awesome. And even as we get older, we have to develop the skills to kind of work through that. Uh, it just kind of modeling that and then showing them it's okay to admit that, you know, you're struggling, like vulnerability is not a sign of weakness. You know, it's Absolutely. just being able to advocate for yourself and get the help that you need is important. So for schools to know what is out there for families to know what is out there. Uh, so just thinking, you know, if you were to give some advice to, you know, let's say you have a group of leaders in education, administrators, or just anybody, any role of ed education, and they're saying, you know what, I'm listening to this today. Uh, this is really important. I want to pay more attention to students' mental health. Like, what do I do? Like, what is some advice that you would offer somebody who's like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but mm -hmm. where do I go from here? Oh, that's great. I mean, you know, and as you're talking, um, I was thinking about the word that kept popping in my mind is normalizing, mm -hmm. normalizing, right? I think that for people to feel comfortable to access help, we got to feel that it's it's okay to do that, that there's no shame associated with it, right? Uh, so I think that big piece is how do we as leaders in schools, districts, states, you know, across the board, how do we normalize mental health, you know, that it's something that's nothing wrong with it. You know, many of us, as you said, we struggle with it ourselves, right? I've been depressed. I've been anxious in my life, you know, and uh, it's okay. You know, I, I, I work with the mental health specialists and they help me through the process, right? It's okay. And I'm fine here and I'm back again, you know, and I think that uh, we're doing better in that area. You, you think about, you know, just, you know, I, I, I think, as I said earlier, autism, you know, something, you know, when I started 30 years ago, I didn't even know what the word was. I never even heard of the word, right? Now it's like very much mainstream. The positive effects to that have been parents are getting help early on, right? They've been, you know, they kids as young as two or three years old are now getting support, you know, uh, early intervention. Um, so I'd like to see that, but with mental health, you know, I think we're seeing it more and more. You see the commercials, you see the signs on the streets, right? The billboards that are advertising help, but I think really uh, encouraging folks that it's okay. You know, let's, 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 uh, uh, it's okay to ask for help. Uh, it's a normal thing. People through history, we were, we're, we're, you know, we, we struggle, you know, there's ups and downs in life. There's people you can talk to. Uh, and I like to always say that early intervention really uh, pushed that piece of it as well, because early intervention is key to all this. You know, it's easier to treat a kid at the beginning stages of depression or anxiety uh, than it is four, five, six years down the line now when uh, this this uh, anxiety, this depression has really grown and now has totally interfered with their life. You know, uh, you know, I look at kids, you know, the example I always say is, you know, it's easier to treat a maybe a preschooler that has some anger issues, right, gets frustrated, kicks the trash can and goes back to class than it is to treat that kid maybe uh, 10 years down the line now where it's there's more aggression, there's anger, there's, uh, you know, uh, these a lot of these behaviors are already now patterns and it's now we have to deal with something a lot more severe. So it's a lot easier to treat it at the early stages than it is down the line. So uh, number one, normalize it, right, the, the education leaders if there's an audience out there that I was talking to let's let's normalize it number two let's uh, uh, the other piece is early intervention let's let's push for that don't look at your mental health services as something extra right on the side look at it as as important as it is to have a teacher as a literacy specialist as an admin right look at it as someone that is that important someone that partners with you uh, to improve children's outcomes I mean that's really I think what what, what how we got to think about all this yeah, and I love how you said that too, the the humanizing it and or the normalizing it. But yeah. I was thinking about just like the growth of people over time. So like 
your example of the preschooler and just helping them to develop because it does take time to develop mm -hmm. skills to deal with challenges because not, not every challenge is going to look the same. Mm -hmm. You might have a student who's in high school that just did terrible on uh, you know, a test that they spent hours upon hours studying for and this, they just have a breakdown. Like I've seen it happen mm -hmm. and that compared to something, you know, that somebody else might consider to be minor, like they still need the skills. So starting early developing skills throughout modeling in our classroom, like always to do that. And I, I have another question for you. And I think I kind of just partially answered it a little bit in that regard. But, uh, you know, going back to the, the staffing shortages, when schools might say, again, like, this sounds great, but what do we do? We don't necessarily have access to a school psychologist or people that are on site. What are some, you know, things that you might recommend that they could do to start to have some things in place for their students? Yeah, yeah a couple of things. Number one is, I mean, that's why we exist as an uh, agency. BlazerWorks, it's what we do. You know, we, uh, we, we partner with uh, school psychologists, again, uh, OTs, PTs, right, across the country. And what we do is we, we partner with them and uh, we, we help connect uh, these professionals who are all experts in their fields with uh, with school districts who have that need, so we're we're we've been part of that. We we've, we've been uh, you know even through the pandemic, you know when there was that big you know shutdown, we 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 partnered with school districts. We had a, a platform in place that had uh, resources to help with the social emotional things. You know we had a a platform in place to 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 uh, provide support for these students across the board. So we had. Uh, you know, clinicians, you know, uh, ideally we would find someone that's local to you, but we may, maybe there's not anyone within a hundred mile radius. There's communities that don't have the resource that maybe bigger communities have, but we were able to partner with them and help them find that person that would be a good fit for their school district. So that's why we exist as, as agencies. And like I said uh, earlier, not only do, are you going to get a qualified uh, licensed uh, professional uh, uh, but you're also going to get a support team as well. You know, so let's say our professional uh, says, okay, you know what? I, I really need a team of folks to help us out with this. We have that team available as well. So, uh, you know, our folks are also getting uh, continuing education. So you're going to have folks that are going to have their qualified, but are going to help you with that, that shortage, right? As well, try to get someone in who's going to bring expertise from across potentially with hopefully within your area, but across state lines as well. Yeah. Well, I, you have given so much great advice and information and just even for me, like things for me to consider and think about as I head back into the classroom, you know, I try to be really intentional and get to know the students and get a good read on them. And because again, not everybody's going to admit And someone might say to you, Hey, everything. Okay. Yeah, it's great. Meanwhile, it's not, and they're not going to necessarily say it because there's that, you know, embarrassment or whatever the reason is. Uh, so it's good to know that there are all these resources out there and some of the strategies that you shared too for, you know, school administrators and leaders and anybody in education and also for families at home because, you know, we're all working together to support the kids. Yes, yes, yes. All of the kids are our kids. I always say like I have tons of kids at school. So that's really important. So thanks for all of your great information and insight. And so for anybody that wants to learn more about BlazerWorks, where would you send them? Yeah. Okay. So let me give you, first of all, we do have a website, uh, blazerworks.com. So blazerworks.com. And we do have a contact us uh, tab in there. So good to contact us and you can input your information and then we'll have someone reach out to you. Uh, we also have our phone number. So our phone number will be 844-699-0919. So 844-699-0919. 
0919. Uh, but the, the, the website will probably work best. You go to blazerworks.com and we have that contact tab there and someone will get right back to you. Awesome. Well, I will be sure to drop all of this information, the links, your information, all the contact information that you shared and any other links that I can find to make it easier into the show notes. And thank you so much for your time today. It's been really great talking to you, learning from you and just getting some new ideas. Thank you for the opportunity for this. It's been great. I appreciate it. Of course. And for everybody listening, thank you as always for tuning in. If you didn't yet subscribe, please do join the Thrive in EDU community on Facebook. And if you want something else to sign up for, I do have a blog. I send out a newsletter twice a month. Would love to share your content as well. So thanks for listening and we will catch you the next time.